All right. This is Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve's Iron Main Zone, and you are listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection, the podcast that talks about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 73, and for this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with the host of the excellent Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone podcast about the number of the beast. This iconic Iron Maiden record came out 40 years ago, and I've been wanting to talk a little bit about Iron Maiden for quite some time, my favorite heavy metal band, and uh, short of getting somebody from the band on the show, talking with Uncle Steve is the next best thing. Can't wait to bring you that discussion. Before we get there, I want to remind you to follow me on social at Mike's Records on Twitter and at Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Go check out michaelsrecordcollection.com and there are links there to everything, my socials, as well as a way to sign up for my free Michael's Record Collection newsletter comes to your mailbox every week. And there's also a link to my Patreon where you can check out the different levels and see if there's something there that appeals to you and you can get a little bit of extra value and at the same time support independent podcasting and newsletter writing all for as little as $2 a month. All right, with all of that out of the way, can't wait to bring you some discussion about Number of the Beast. I was so excited. I think I, I gave two different uh, release dates for the album, May and March of 1982. It was, of course, March of 1982, 40 years ago. Here is that discussion with Uncle Steve. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. Uh, big treat for you this week. I'm going to talk a little Iron Maiden with none other than Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. Thank you for your time today, sir. You're welcome. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I, uh, I've i been wanting to do an Iron Maiden show for quite some time. My, uh, my favorite heavy metal band. And awesome. um, I figured what better way to uh, start talking about Iron Maiden in, in my collection than... Uh, hitting up the 40th anniversary of Number of the Beast, it turned 40 in May. Uh, but uh, your show is is certainly one that I I listen to, you know, to get my Iron Maiden fix, and awesome. uh, I enjoy that. And I wanted to try to kind of pick your brain a little bit about this this podcast you've got going on. It's Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. How how long have you been doing this now? Uh, been doing it now for about two and a half years. Okay. And what brought this on? Obviously, your love of Iron Maiden, but what made you think, I'd really like to do a podcast about this? <laughs> you know, I was doing pod. I, I was in my mind, I had a podcast set for God, five or six years. I wanted to do it and uh, had talked to a friend about it. And just, you know, it was just, it's the hardest part is getting started usually. Mm-hmm. And um, I started out originally and it wasn't even, it wasn't called Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. It was uh, Uncle Steve's Rock and Metal Zone. Cause I was just like, I want to focus on lots of bands. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then I decided I wanted to do a full, I was like, you know, Maiden's my favorite. So let's do a full month of Maiden. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I'm going to do it different than anybody. I'm even going to change the name. I'll change it to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone for a month. And, and I was just going to go back. Uh-huh. And, and it just, I really enjoyed doing it. And then I just thought, well, you know what? I can do whatever I want anyway. And uh, I can, if I wanted to talk about a different band, you know, we, we talk about different bands from time to time. So, you know, we, 
there's no, you know, no one's paying me to do it. So <laughs> no rules, I guess. That's right. It's, it's your show. You do what, do what you want, man. <laughs> yeah. You do you, as they say. Um, exactly. What is your Iron Maiden origin story? How did you, how did you, when did you first become aware of the band? How did you get into them? What was like, what was your first Iron Maiden memory? Oh gosh. I was on, uh, I was, I was into bands like Kiss and Wasp a lot back in the uh, mid eighties. And I remember on the school bus one day, I was having an argument. I don't know how familiar you are with Wasp or, or Blackie Lawless as a bass player, mm-hmm. but he was just a serviceable bass player. And I was in a, I got in a pretty, uh, rough argument with the guy on the school bus that Blackie Lawless was a way better bass player than Steve Harris. I didn't even know who Steve Harris was. I just knew this guy liked Iron Maiden. I was like, and Blackie Lawless is better than he is. So he's like, next day he brings me a cassette to school. He brings me peace of mind. And, you know, I, I only remember listening to it. You remember back in the day when you listen to cassettes and when they'd get bad and they'd fade in and out and in and out. And that's the way that was, <laughs> but I heard it. I heard enough of it to know, Oh, I thought they were with their album covers. I just thought, Oh, that's, too heavy for me. And when I heard it, I was like, Oh, this is accessible stuff. And so I, you know, I went and, uh, well, it wasn't too long after that, a guy at school got in trouble, wanted me to, he said, Hey, if you write me a 10 page paper, I'll give you this cassette. And it was a live after death cassette. And so I'm like, okay, sure. So I wrote the 10 page paper and he gave it to me. And I, you know, that was my introduction to Iron Maiden right there. Wow. What was the 10 page paper about? I have no idea. <laughs> I just know, you know, when you to do that, he had small handwriting. And so I had to mimic his handwriting and, yeah. and it was just, and 10 pages front and back. So it wasn't just one page front, one page back. It was one, two, <laughs> but it was worth it. You know, it was, uh, it, it started something. I have to admit, I, I did not expect your Iron Maiden origin story to include uh, academic fraud. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> It's it's interesting. My my Iron Maiden um, origin story is is not too dissimilar time time frame wise than yours. I was aware of Run to the Hills uh, on FM radio, but and I liked it. I didn't really yeah. know a lot about Iron Maiden until uh, MTV came along and sure. I saw the video and I saw what the guys looked like, and it's like okay, these guys aren't so scary. And right, right. Um, and I remember when Flight of Icarus came out, um, I, at the time, my father was a truck driver and he would have me unload his semi for like 50 bucks, which was huge money back in those days for a kid. Oh, yeah. But probably he was saving 50 bucks from having some other adult do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he used to, uh, we used to go to Columbus, which was about a half an hour drive, unload his truck, and then, uh, you know, usually go to like this Perkins and eat. Okay. Uh, lunch afterwards, and there was a little strip mall next to this place, and there, and I knew there was a record store in it. So I, I asked him, can, "Hey, can you know, can I go to the record store after we eat?" And he's like, "Okay, sure." And I picked up the cassette of Peace of Mind, which was my first Iron Maiden album that I owned. And okay. I remember driving home in his semi and asking him, "Can I can I put this in the tape deck?" And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, my dad's a country guy and a, and a like a fifties and sixties doo-wop kind of guy. And he had no idea what to expect. And so, you know, the, the drum break opening of where Eagles dare starts up and he makes it through that. And then maybe one or two bars into the guitar, he hits the eject button and says, I can't, I just can't. <laughs> but the That's whole funny. way home I'm list, I'm replaying that little, I don't know, 
15 second clip in my mind and I can't wait to get it home and listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we both came in right around the same time. Now, how many episodes have you done of your show now? Oh gosh. Uh, I do keep count. I think it's up, it's up near 150 or so. What's interesting about your show is you, you'll have co-hosts or, or guests on from all over the world. I know you've had guys from down under in Australia. It yeah. must be fun uh, matching up. Uh, I, I know I've interviewed a guy from Australia before. It must be fun matching up those uh, time frames so that you can record. It is. And there's, and there's so many different time zones just in um, Australia. And I've had a guy from New Zealand and like one guy in Australia, he's 15 hours ahead. There's a girl that's in Australia. She's 13 hours ahead. Then the guy in, in New Zealand, he's 17 hours ahead. And it's, it's really hard to make work sometimes, but, but it's okay. Yeah. You make, you make it work. Yeah. Um, so do you have a favorite Iron Maiden album? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say my favorite album. And this is definitely for, for anyone that listens to me, they know what I'm going to say, but um, it's very unconventional when I say my favorite Iron Maiden album is the 2006, a matter of life and death. Okay. That's an interesting one. I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, I, like I typically with a band, I will gravitate toward the first album that I, that I bought from a band. And I think yeah. a lot of people do that, but um, sure. I would say it, it's kind of a toss up for me between peace of mind and power slave and, um, and number of the beast is right there too. So probably those three are the top three and on any given day, yeah, one of them might edge ahead of the others. It's usually peace of mind or power slave. Okay. Okay. I mean, they're all good albums, so they they are all good albums. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on the period without Bruce? After obviously you came in to Iron Maiden when Bruce was in the band, had replaced Paul Diano, and then he left for a while. How do you view those albums? They're a lot different. I mean, it, it, there was a lot going on during that time because a you lost your iconic singer. Now, the two albums prior to that, No Prayer for the Dying and Fear of the Dark, they definitely were already kind of going downward. Uh, my personal opinion is, yeah, they were Fear of the Dark's as low as they got, in my opinion. So you, you lost Bruce. Adrian was gone. And he was, you know, those are two big time songwriters. Mm -hmm. Steve Harris is going through a divorce. Martin Birch, their producer, you know, from Killers through um, Fear of the Dark, he wasn't producing him anymore. He retired. So that's a lot of changes. Plus the musical scene was so much different. Yeah. And then he goes and gets, you know, he blaze Bailey, who I'd never heard of and blaze. I don't know if you've ever heard Wolfsbane. I, I don't really listen to him, but they're really, I kind of describe them as like a UK version of kind of Van Halen in a way, like really fun party rock. And, mm -hmm. and then he brings this guy who's got this upcoming band into his band. And he's probably, he's like, okay, you can't be this. You can't be the upbeat, happy, fun guy. Cause we're going to make a really depressing album. <laughs> and um, I, I think that those two albums are good. I really, I like, I'm not as X factor is harder because it's just really, it's, it's a, it's tough to listen to, but I don't dislike the albums because of blaze. I, I, I just think it was, a, it was really almost a different band at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of got to take it the way, um, almost like it's a new band, but, 
you have to give everybody their their own due because you can't expect the person to come in to be the same person as the person who left and they're going to bring their own flavor to things and and you know that certainly bands like Judas Priest went through the same thing when when they replaced Rob Halford for a period and that kind sure. of Sure. So Iron Maiden, we're going to talk a little bit about this album Number of the Number Beast. Of the this beast. here is the 98 remaster. And it's got uh, an extra track on it. They put total eclipse in between Gangland and Hallowed Be Thy Name. Yeah. This is interesting because it's uh, this is from the BMG Music Club, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which means like I got a bunch of Iron Maiden all at once uh, on CD when I upgraded to CD, and you there know you I I didn't pay for any of them because that's not what you <laughs> do with the BMG Music Club. <laughs> Absolutely, and, uh, it's an enhanced CD, which was a like real gimmicky at the time, and uh, it's got um, a multimedia section with Run to the Hills and and Number of the Beast on it. So uh, cool. Iron Maiden's third studio album, uh, the first with Bruce Dickinson after Paul Diano was let go. And that was obviously um, an interesting time in the band's career because uh, Samson had had done some shows with Iron Maiden and Samson was yeah. Bruce Dickinson's band. And 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 uh, Rod Smallwood pulls uh, pulls Bruce aside at a, after a festival and says, uh, what do you think? Maybe join the band. And well, Bruce says, well when I get the job and I will get the job, <laughs> um, you know, you got to be ready. Cause I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give pushback. I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm, I might be a little bit of a pain to work with, but it's all in service sure. of the music. And um, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm assuming that you've probably read Bruce's autobiography. Yeah. I have. And, and, and I love that, that whole section of, of him joining the band and, and saying, well, does the does the dead guy walking know he's the dead guy walking yet? Does he know he's getting fired? It, it was right. an interesting time for the band. It certainly was. It certainly was. They 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 were on an uphill trajectory at that point. You, even with Paul, I mean, but it was quantum leap, you know, from Paul because Paul's definitely a, he was a good vocalist. He's a serviceable vocalist, but he's he fit more of that fast paced. I hate to use the word punk style because the first album, you know kind of had some of that, mm-hmm. but Bruce was just a quantum leap into a, another stratosphere for them. Yeah. And he enabled, I think, I think that Bruce really enabled Steve to get more ambitious with his writing because he, he absolutely, knew, he knew that Bruce could handle it and, uh, and it, it kind of changed things for the band moving forward. And, and then you're always going to get pushed back when a, when a band changes singers and uh, Paul, Paul 
fan. There's still Paul fans out there who who think that the <laughs> first two albums are the pinnacle of, of Iron Maiden's uh, Indeed. album. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bruce wasn't able to get any writing credits on this album because of uh, some contractual issues with Samson, um, which made makes it interesting because you kind of have to piece together things from interviews to find out what did Bruce really do on uh, on this album. But he, yeah. he had a hand in it for sure. Uh, it was also the last album with drummer Clive Burr. And, you know, with I wanted to kind of get your opinion on that because it's everybody loves Nico, obviously. Nico's a fantastic drummer. But Clive had his own style. What what did you think that Clive brought to the brought to the mix on these first few albums? Oh man, Clive, his drumming is is frenetic and it's fast paced. And there's just one thing that's really like Nico, you know, he's got the big personality. It's impossible to not like Nico, you know, unless you're just, just a grumpy old <laughs> fart, you know, but Clive, you know, when you listen to like, when you listen to number of the beast, a lot of the songs, he does drum fills and it's all snare fills. He'll just da, 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 And he just goes right back into it instead of, whereas Nico, you know, Nico does the fills. He's all over the place and they both work. But yeah, I love Clive was more, not that he was not that his drumming is easy to replicate, but he was, he was more simple with what he did Mm -hmm. and he was fantastic. I I love, love, love his drumming. Yeah. I like what Clive brought to, I mean, just the simple little fill with run to the hills at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just it's exactly what the song needs. I heard a story one time where it was, I think it was Brian Johnson of ACDC was talking about Phil Rudd talking about, he said, well, I'm not a dental drummer. And then he goes, oh, dental drummer. What are you talking about? And he goes, he goes, every time a, a dental drummer, every time they see they hold, they think they got to fill it. And, and when, as soon as I heard that, I thought that's Nico. Nico has, I mean, you know, and, and I, I grew up when I, when I got in, Nico was the drummer and I, mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously been on the vast majority of their albums, but man, Clive Burr's, his drumming is very pronounced and it's just, it stands out simple yet perfect for it. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic for this record, especially Um, this album was released on March 22nd, 1982 on the MI records in the UK and harvest and capital in the U S just a year and one month after killers came out on February 2nd, 1981 produced by Martin Birch as same producer as killers his his second of many, Uh, with the band. It was recorded over two months in January and February of 1982 at Battery Studio in London. Same as Killers. First Iron Maiden album to top the UK albums chart and make the US Billboard 200. Band lineup, Bruce Dickinson's first album as lead vocalist, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith on guitars, Steve Harris on bass, Clive Burr on drums, we mentioned, and eight songs on the original release. And it kicks off with Invaders, three minutes and 20 seconds, written by Steve Harris.
balls to the wall opener and uh right away you hear clive right at the start of this uh the the, the drum mm-hmm. and guitar intro and just a real in your face opening track to the, this is what we are this is where we're going and we're we're not the same iron maiden anymore <clears throat> we're we're going to take this to a new level oh yeah it's and it's it's aggressive you know the verses in the song are very very aggressive I think this song has been uncare, uh, unfairly characterized, though, you know, because Steve Harris has come out over the years and said we should have had something better to open the album. I think Bruce has even echoed that. It's a really, really fantastic song. And and because of those two guys saying mm, it's it, it, we could have done better, it's not the greatest song. It, it's kind of one of those deals where. People just it kind of snowballs, you know, and now the fans even oh, like and Vader's it's not that good. I've never had a problem. There's only one minor little tiny issue I have with it. And other than that, it's just a fantastic song. All right. Well, I'll spill it. What's your minor issue that you have with it? <clears throat> the chorus invaders do 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 pillaging do 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 do. It just sounds like this, like this happy thing, you know, you know, <laughs> raping do 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 do. <laughs> it it kind of just sounds a little, that, that one little bit just sounds a little too happy. So. Yeah. Yeah, I but guess my, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't bother. I'll still listen to it. So <laughs> yeah, tonally, maybe a little bit of a mis, a mismatch with the the yeah. lyrics and the music, but um, but it's still a, a cool little run uh, before and oh, after yeah. Invaders. And I, you know, I look at the songs on this album, and I don't really think there's too many songs you could really use as the opener for the album. You could use the two singles, yeah. but maybe they were a little worried that number of the beast starts out a little too atmospheric um run to the hills probably would would have been a good album opener but other than those two i don't see any of these other songs that i would have started rather started the album off with yeah I, i've always the one the one pe- thing that people do talk about is they'll say oh well, i didn't even listen to that first i i listened to number of the beast first because i thought that was the opener and and then i mean really it would have been just an i mean can you imagine just you open it up with that woe to you. And we just, that would have been, you know, and it, it, the one thing that people, I think the other thing is, is Bruce doesn't really, he sounds good, but he doesn't, there's not like a signature moment. Like, whereas in, you know, number of the beast, there's that part where he finally gets to that. Yeah. I just like, you like, Whoa, you know? So that's the only, but, but you get it in the next song, you get some iconic Bruce in the next one. Yeah, that, that that we'll get to that scream uh, in a bit, but uh, yes, after the the you know the aggressive invaders, you've got Children of the Damned. It, it's also by Harris. Slows things down a bit. It's almost the beginning of the song, guitar wise, is almost like an Allman Brothers esque guitar at the start of this. It's very different for Iron Maiden.
it's gorgeous, man. It's, it's, uh, it starts that they played that on the book of souls tour. That's the last tour they played it on. And man, I was so happy to hear it. It's just, it's, it's almost one of those songs. You just kind of close your eyes and get lost in it. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. The intro. Yeah. The, the guitar part is sort of, for me, it's like, it's like foreshadows the, uh, the, just the amazingly beautiful, uh, guitar in, um, in revelations where right mm-hmm. after the beginning part where they, they go into that, that just really melodic double guitar yeah. part. Um, it's sort of precursors that, and, uh, it's kind of like, this is where the seeds of that came from. Yeah. Good call. It's, you know, the song is, is, you know, you get, cause Bruce starts singing and he's kind of singing soft and then he gets to the, you know, when it gets to the chorus and he just belts out children of the damned. I, I think that's the, I imagine as a maiden fan, that's the first time you go, Whoa, this is a, this is a step up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's where you realize I mean, Invaders is fine, and then you get to that, and you go, "Wow, this guy can actually really sing." And oh yeah! In, in a way that that Paul didn't didn't um, like you said, Paul Paul was fine for what he brought to the band, but this this does take it to a, a new level, and you get your first gallop on the album about two and a half minutes into this song, where they kick into that oh, yeah. gallop. They're just a patented Iron Maiden gallop that will you know you'll come to Run to the Hills, you'll come to it in the Trooper. Um, yeah. just nobody does a gallop like Iron Maiden. And that spot you're talking about where it gets, you know, really sped up. And that's where I'm just listening to Clive play. And it's like, he's, he's like, you know, hitting the cymbals with both drumsticks. He's like that. And then there's the dual lead line going on at the same time. And I'm just, I, I love the dual lead, but man, listening to Clive, I'm just like that, that is just perfection. The way he's doing that. I mean, you can't mess, you can't mess up a little bit there. Cause that's, he he was solid. Ooh, I love his playing. Yeah, he really shines on that. And um, uh, just a, a, a great contrast between the first two songs on the album. And it, it really shows where Steve <laughs> wanted to take the band. It really shows where he wanted to go. Time changes and 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 something that the band continues to do today. Yeah, absolutely. It is a little reminiscent of, um, you know, if you think of Remember Tomorrow from Killers. It does. It's got the, it's kind of got the light and then it's got the, where it jumps into the heavier bit too. So it's, but, but here, I think he's able to do Like you said, it helps Steve's writing because he's really able to expand. But yeah, you remember tomorrow, interestingly enough, the live version was a, a B side for one of the singles on this album with, uh, with Bruce on vocals and like maybe had only been playing it with Bruce. Like maybe the band had only been playing it with Bruce, like three or four shows before that one was recorded. <laughs> There's actually something funny about that is that they had the um, made in Japan, a uh, little EP, the live EP they put out that song that they released on a B side. It's a live version. It's, it's made in Japan's version. And all they did was take Paul's vocals out and Bruce. Cause it's, if you listen to it, it's funny because Bruce, says things and talks in certain ways in the song that he normally wouldn't, but he's having to just replace the parts where Paul's voice was. It's pretty funny, <laughs> but it's interesting that they wouldn't have just re- recorded it in a studio. Yeah. And said they just, they just used the exact same track. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess they did what they had to do. Yeah. The prisoner is song three. And for me, this is the highlight of side one of the album.
Adrian okay. Smith and Steve Harris wrote this one. And they the, the great story about Rod Smallwood, the manager, having to call Patrick McGowan to get his uh, his permission to use the spoken intro is fantastic. <laughs> how Rod was was tongue tied trying to talk to this star actor, and and they're like, "Well, well, you know, well, you've talked to famous people before," and he's like, "Well, it's just you lot, you know." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so he he gets permission. He has to explain, "Yeah, yeah, we're in, we're a heavy metal band. We want to play." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it." <laughs> and, uh, Whatever, just do it. <laughs> And I can't even imagine this song without that intro. I mean, if they hadn't gotten permission, I don't know what this would have done to the album, but it, it really sets a mood for yeah. the song. It does. It does. It's, I think it would have, I think it could have worked without it because it's another iconic drum intro from Claude Burr, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and then the, it's just, it's musically, it's a fantastic song. I, this is another song. I, the, the problem with doing a podcast is you start analyzing things way too much. Mm-hmm. And you start finding like I have a co-host and and she always says, you know, I came on your podcast because I loved Iron Maiden. And I feel like all we do is is bash them every now and then. You know, we we say things like I think I think this song is fantastic in every way, except to me, the chorus is, you know, because the way he sings the verses, you know, I'm on the run. I kill to eat. You know, I'm stopping now. It's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And then to me, the chorus almost like it's it's like light and dark. It just goes real you know, kind of happy. Yeah. <laughs> like I was going to see Clive drumming like, not yeah. a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, to me, this reminds me of, I mean, and this is where I feel like, you know, a lot of people I talk to, they say number of the beasts is their favorite Iron Maiden album. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very good album, but I think you pointing that out is it shows that they, they hadn't quite yet mastered how to change tempos and change moods within a song and time signatures within a song without um going too far the other way i think that they were still kind of getting to where (laughs) they ended up getting and and i think that speaks to some of that yeah that def that definitely is a good explanation for that it's they and they they do tend to have some abrupt changes even as you go even now some of the changes are just really but as a, as you go along with them, you just learn to, I love them. I, I just, I just expect, you know, all of a sudden it's just the song either speeds up or slows down or just, it's great. Yeah. We're not going to do four, four here. We're going to go yeah five, four. We're going to do, we're going to change something up. Yeah. Uh, and then the first side of the album closes with 22 Acacia Avenue uh, built on a song that, um, that uh, Adrian Smith had, had from the band urchin and this was uh, the longest song on side one is six and a half minutes uh you don't get a lot of songs about prostitutes <laughs> but uh, uh it was it's an interesting song too because there it, it just there's so many lyric lyrically strange things in this song there's yeah there's, you know there's like you you know if you mention my name you know maybe she'll you know, this is her job, but maybe she'll do it for free if you say that you know <laughs> yeah. I sent you. And then at the end, there's this whole I have to rescue this person from this life. It is it is an interesting song, and you've mentioned it's being about a prostitute. Three albums in, and this is their second song about a prostitute. You know, because <laughs> yeah. they had Charlotte the Harlot, which is this is really a continuation, yeah. you know, kind of of her. And uh, but man, th- that song uh, you're talking about, uh, Countdown by Urchin, man, that's a good song too. I, I don't love a ton of that urchin stuff, but that song is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think to, this is my favorite. Ooh, I can't say that children of the damned is my favorite song on side one, but I think Acacia Avenue is, is really close. 
waiting for a long time For the rest to do their things You can't tell her You know, there's there's lots of, uh, you know, the, where they're playing the music and then all of a sudden it's, you know, everybody's got their vice and then the, da, 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 it just stops and he just mm -hmm. starts playing again. That I love those little stops there. That's really cool. Yeah. Nobody nobody changes mid song like Iron Maiden in, in heavy metal. I don't think it's just it's sort of how they broke ground to for bands like Metallica and bands that followed to to kind of do those things and to and to stretch out and explore. And, and I think that some of those early moments where they start doing that is, is among their, their most interesting, you know, stuff on, from those first few albums, 22 Acacia Avenue is, is it's got some problematic lyrics by today's standards for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but, especially, uh, but it is a really, it is a really great song and, and uh, musically it's fantastic. Oh yeah. It is, it is interesting that side two, is where the two albums two singles came from it's it's you don't you don't get that a lot especially back in the album days you know now it's more singles oriented uh you know with sure. the digital but you back then everybody tried to front load their albums with the singles and yeah number of the beast and run to the hills were the first two singles in fact run to the hills came out before the album did as a single and and here you go side two you're starting off with your two singles I think it really shows how strong the album is that you can, that, that you could just put your singles on the B side. It, it's because there's not really, you know, the album to me, it starts strong and it, it really never lets up. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's some points that aren't quite as great, but man, it's a strong album. Yeah, Number of the beast starts off side two and it's got that fantastic intro from Robert Burns or I'm sorry, Robert, uh, Barry Clayton, Robert Burns wrote the, uh, the poem Tam O'Shanter, which was partly what Steve Harris was writing this about, uh, the, from the being chased by a beast kind of, uh, thing and not knowing what, what's real and what's a dream. And, and he, sure. he kind of also had a dream about the, the movie Damien Omen two, which was a freaky movie. Uh, <laughs> I will say that back in the eighties, when I saw that movie, it freaked me out quite a bit. So I can imagine him having, having that kind of, uh, um, you know, reaction to it, but uh, you know, Barry Clayton reads some of uh, some Bible verses from Revelation, and uh, just that that real atmospheric opening that apparently uh, Martin Birch made Bruce sing for like four hours before he got one that he liked. I left alone. My mind was blank. Just what I saw in my 
And so that then you get that whale that one of the great Bruce Dickinson whales of all yeah. time, uh, and you can just imagine him letting out all of that frustration of having to do that uh, that that softer part for four hours. Oh yeah, that 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 had to tear your voice up doing that. That's I mean, and you can hear if there's isolated. You can go on YouTube and find it as an isolated track like where you can just hear the vocals mm-hmm. and you can hear, it's just like, he's, it's just like, he's going as hard as he can, as long as he can. At the end, it's just, it's just grisly, you know, at the end, it's, 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 it's a good yeah, this, yeah, the, <laughs> this song is fantastic too. I mean, it's, there's a lot of aggressive verses, mm-hmm. you know, and this is another, another one that's uh, aggressive. I mean, th- and this one doesn't really let up the chorus, you know, is very aggressive as well too. Yeah. Adrian's riff is one of the great maiden riffs of all time in this song. Then, yeah, just, just amazing. Um, this thing reached number eighteen on the UK singles charts and number nineteen in Ireland. It also charted again in nineteen ninety and two thousand five. It was released as a single April twenty sixth of nineteen eighty two, and. Martin Birch getting that scream out of Bruce and <laughs> was fantastic. It, it's it would be interesting if they had been able to afford Vincent Price instead of uh, Barry yeah. Clayton to see what you know what would have changed because it's it is a very Vincent Price type of of intro and it's kind of where you know our puritanical American society decided that these guys were Satanists and they needed to burn their records and things like that and I. Yeah. I never bought into that because I was I was blessed with the uh, the gift of rational thought, and uh, <laughs> um, it's right here on the cover. You've already got okay. Satan's pulling the strings here, but who's he's now? He's having his strings pulled by Eddie. Yeah, that, that goes yeah. to show. You, why would they worship Satan if Eddie's the one pulling the strings? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um, what they call it? They called it uh, the Satanic Panic. You know, yeah. it's it's. I, I I grew up in the South and and I remember going to school and I mean, it wasn't Iron Maiden that someone said anything to me, but I remember a girl in my school telling me, well, you're going to go to hell if you listen to Kiss. And I just remember, and that, that still sticks with me. And that was in middle school. Yeah. You know, I'm 50 years old now. So that's, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just, I never understood that, you know, I never understood it. Yeah. The, the whole Knights and Satan service thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I get it. I mean, I can see a person looking at the number of the beast, the album cover, and just seeing, oh, it's Satan, and and then here, you know, if you if you don't know the context of the lyrics, sure, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you know, everything's open for interpretation, but mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, it's it it helped them, it helped Maiden, you know, it made everyone was like well, interested in it more after that. So yeah, if you if you point out there's a controversy, people are going to check things out to see what the controversy is all about, and then they're going to go, hey, that's pretty good music. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like those parental advisory stickers they started putting on. And bands used to say, "We all wanted one because that's what the kids wanted to listen. They wanted to find something that had that on it." So 
I mean, rock and roll is the music of rebellion. What's more rebellious than that, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, thanks, uh, moral maturity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, but I, if if you if you just gave it uh, any thought and, and and kind of dove into it in any depth, you would you you can't come to that conclusion. But I I did like how uh, and Nico McBrain said that you know he his backward masking on uh, was it still life <laughs> on peace of mind yeah. was basically. Uh, a response to if if they're going to be stupid about something, let's just give them something to be stupid about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a bit in the lyrics though, where he even talks about, you know, I can't do this. I got to get away from this. Yeah. You know, but then it's like it overtakes them. So it's just, but I'm like, it's a story. It's like it's it's the same as watching a movie. Mm-hmm. People seem to make it okay. It's okay to watch a movie, mm-hmm. but man, if you listen to it in a song lyric, it's terrible. I don't really get that. I've never got that. If you play Satan in a movie, are you, are you a devil worshiper? I mean, it's the same concept. It's like you, it's entertainment. Yeah. You're writing stories and or song lyrics from a a particular perspective. And, you know, Steve's always been a storyteller and you know, you don't, you don't tell it from Steve Harris's perspective. You tell it from the characters in the story. Right. Right. So, yeah, uh, but a fantastic way to open side two, and then you get to run to the oh, hills. First single off the album was released in uh, February of 82, February 12th, written by Steve Harris. And like I said, released a month before the album. It reached number 27 on VH1's list of the 40 greatest metal songs and number 14 on their list of the greatest hard rock songs, which is interesting that it made it higher as a hard rock song than as a, as a metal song. Uh, this yeah. one went all the way up to number seven in the UK. It charted in Ireland, Germany, and Australia. Again, you've got some lyrics that are probably a bit problematic for today's audiences, but still, this is my favorite song on the record and one of my favorite Maiden songs of all time, just because probably because it was one of the first ones I heard, one of the first ones that I found, uh, you know, that that really got its hooks into me because this is a great song for hooks. Oh, yeah, it's a yeah, it's very hooky. The melodies are great. You know, it's I wrote down I wrote I said it's a fun song and I said, well, Maybe not if you consider the lyrics about white man, you know, coming over here and, you know, taking over the Native Americans, raping the women and wasting the men, you know, but I said, but it's catchy as hell. You know, it's the, the melodies are all over the song, the chorus. It's, it's, 
I'm not usually into the happy courses, but man, this course is so great. It's just, it's so fun. You're live and they play it and it's just, the whole crowd is just screaming. The, it's just, it's a, it's another iconic song. And, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned about this uh, album is, I mean, we obviously mentioned Steve Harris, but his bass playing, you know, mm-hmm. there's very few bands where the bass playing is literally up in the mix, just like the guitars are. Yeah. And there, there's so much great, like this song has some really fantastic bass playing in it too. So. Yeah, some nimble fingers by Steve Harris for sure. It's again, Steve is telling this story from different perspectives. He's telling it from the you know the Cree. Yeah. He's telling it from the the U.S. cavalry soldiers' perspective, and it it gives the chorus a different flavor depending on what the the verse was. Because the first yeah the, the verse where you're you know you're it's told from the Cree perspective is we got to run to the hills, run for our lives, and then it's the cavalry telling them to run, <laughs> run to the hills. Run yeah. The and um, yeah. really kind of one of the first times that Steve and, and the band got a little political. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, but it's a, it's a true statement. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, the one other thing that I'm, you can't mention it enough on this album is Clive Burr's drumming on this song is just insane. Yeah. The, as, as, the, as fast as he's playing those verses, golly, man, it's, it's, I'm one of the, you know, I, I've, I've got a friend and and me and him both are almost, almost on the side of, they should have kept Clive Burr, but you know, you don't really know if, 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 if the direction it's almost like br- comparing Bruce with Paul Diano because Paul was a great singer and Bruce is a great singer, but Bruce could take them to another level with his singing. Whereas Nico might've probably been able to take him to a different level with his drumming. And, yeah. but man, I, I, I would like to have seen what would have happened with Clive in the band. See where they would have went. It would have been, it would have been interesting. There's a, there's an alternate earth somewhere out there where he's, <laughs> yeah. the it'd be interesting yeah, exactly. how, they, how they did, but yeah, it's, it's looking back now. It's so hard to imagine Clive drumming on where Eagles dare or flight of Icarus. You know, oh yeah. Songs that I've air drummed a million times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I wouldn't have had to go, to quite so many different <laughs> exactly air drums. Get a state in one spot. Yeah. Do, do all your snare fills. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's absolutely no denying that. Oh, that, man. It, that really helps make that song run to the hills. Uh, cook. He's so good. He was so good. It's frustrating too. Sometimes because Nico doesn't play him the way that Clive played him, And even in live, you know, he he'll, it's frustrating sometimes to me as a fan. Cause you like, I want to hear him. So, you know, there's a, um, they had a box set that came out about 20 years ago and they released the live album from that tour. So it's so good. It's so great to hear Clive Burr playing all those songs live. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear. Yeah. Uh, side two continues with gangland. This was in a, this was a, a Clive Burr gets a writing credit here for the first time. And last time mm-hmm. um, Adrian Smith and Clive Burr wrote this one, a uh, little, little Chicago land, uh, uh, gangs you know, yeah it's it's kind of that's what the topic is is like you know dead men tell no tales and all of that it was yeah. these guys they they're very influenced by movies and books and um oh yeah and, and they always have been and it and it really kind of is infused through with their writing throughout but you know this is a a really solid track three for you know side two track three is kind of where you bury the weak song but gangland's not a weak song in my mind
yeah, it's a um, it's it's another song that's gotten the treatment from Steve and I don't know if Bruce or not, but Steve has definitely said because this was the B side to Run to the Hill single, and they it was between this. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Total Eclipse was the B side, but the, it was between Gangland and Total Eclipse, and they said whichever one we use as a B side is not going on the album. And in hindsight, they've said we really should have put gangland as the b-side and put total eclipse on the album and so they kind of slided it in that way but Mm -hmm. it's and it's gotten it's gotten that reputation kind of like invaders but about a year ago uh, adrian smith went on youtube and he basically had his little home studio he was in and he turned on gangland the track and he played along with the whole song and and watching him play it it gives you a different appreciation for it but but you know that song's not as as bad as it gets a reputation for the the verses are more intense you know mm-hmm. verses the chorus is isn't the greatest but it's not bad either and and there's just more in in that the whole beginning of that song with that that drum thing he's doing man they showcased him a lot on that album i think and i i'm, I'm glad they did yeah. i'm glad they did yeah i think when a when a band starts talking bad about some of their songs it you know the there's a tendency for the fans to follow along with that and say, oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. Because you know, these are their heroes, <laughs> you know, they're what, Oh they're, yeah. They couldn't possibly be wrong about something. Yeah. And, um, and, and for me, gangland, the only thing that gangland suffers from is from being on an album with so many great songs. It's that, I mean, it's, it's only, yeah. it's, it's not fair to compare it to some of these other songs, but it, on another album, it might be one of the highlights. I mean, look what it's sandwiched in between run to the hills and hallowed be thy name. I mean, two complete, you ask, if you ask the generic Iron Maiden fan to name 10 Iron Maiden songs, two of them are going to be run to the hills and hallowed be thy name. I mean, those are iconic Iron Maiden songs. Yeah, exactly. And um, that brings us to the closer, hallowed be thy name, seven minute epic. And you know, we we didn't really I didn't really mention it for Number of the Beast, but at four and a half minutes, Number of the Beast feels a lot more epic than it than it is time wise. Is it only four and a half minutes? It's only a four and a half minute song. Oh my god! It's it's they it, pack a lot into it. They really do. It it just seems like um, it's it's just over four and a half. Uh, it's like four fifty, I think, and Golly. it's uh, it's just not it's it's not a. a it just doesn't feel like an under five minute song. There's just so much going on in it. It just feels like it feels like the big epic, but you really come to the big epic at the end of the album with uh, Steve yeah. Harris's uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name. And this one starts slow and builds and builds and builds in intensity. And yes. then you get those just you really get another great Bruce moment at the end of this where he's uh, where he's just like wailing out the title of the track, you know? Oh, yeah.
Yeah, th- this is the song I introduced my kids to Iron Maiden with. We were going on a hike, and I we were driving in my little truck, and I turned it on, and I and I was literally telling them, like, letting them hear the song, and then we went on a hike, and then I just told them the whole story. I went, I literally went line by line. I'm like, this is so the lyrics are so poetic, and so just the story of the whole song is just incredible. And and like you said, musically, you know, there's so many great dual lead lines throughout the song the drumming is fantastic you know and then like you said at the end where you know you get to that part where it's like dun 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 bum bum and then they kind of build into that part you're talking about where bruce is just singing out that vote that chorus you know the only thing about this song that that sucks is that they kind of plagiarized some of it you know some of the lyrics and they got you know it's a it's i don't know if you've ever heard the song uh life's shadow by beckett i'm not but familiar it's, with it it's it's just some random old band that steve liked and mm-hmm. there's a lot of lyrics in there i mean that are almost verbatim in this song and it's it's weird the song that song's not nearly as good but there's they they used two bits out of that song for two different iron maiden songs later on so it's but it, you know they they dealt with it they figured it out and they got it all because i took my kids to the book of souls tour first time i took my kids to see him and that was when the lawsuit was going on and they didn't play it. And I was so disappointed because I really, after telling them the story and really building it up for them, I was really wanting them to hear it live. And, but my daughter got to hear it on the next tour with me, but, uh, but man, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably when you ask people, I'll say this about this song a couple of years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and, and he said, what would you say is your favorite I hate these questions, you know, because if you're, I can see behind you, you got a thousand CDs. You don't just have, you know, it's not easy to pick. Sometimes it's not easy to pick your favorite song from one album. Yeah. So he goes, what would you say is your favorite song? And I went, what do you mean by like by a band or no, just, just your favorite song of all time? And I was like, where do, where do you go with that? And I just, I, I thought for a minute, I said, you know, I just got to say, hallowed be thy name by Iron Maiden. That's just, it's, I love so many songs probably just as much, but mm-hmm. yeah, that was the first one that jumped in there. And I'm like that, that, that counts for something too. <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot from casual music fans that, you know, they have a clear favorite. So they just assume everybody has a clear favorite and it's yeah. Like, well, God, ask me on 10 different days. You're going to get 10 different answers. Yeah. Yeah. Like at least narrow it down to a band or something. It's yeah. hard with Iron Maiden. It's hard with, it's hard with Iron Maiden just to go, I've got friends that have done rankings where they've went and ranked every single song, mm-hmm. 168 or whatever. I'm just like, I can't even begin to think about doing that. Yeah. It's hard. That's a difficult thing. It is. I, I mean, it, and I've done album rankings before where I've ranked albums or I've ranked songs from an album. And even then I have to preface it by saying, this is how I feel today, but this might not be how right. I feel tomorrow or might not be how I felt yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think if you, I think it's easier to do it with that mindset. Yeah. Cause, cause some people are just like, no, this is in stone, man. I'm not, cha- I will, like, you, you, A, maybe that, maybe your new favorite album, you haven't heard it yet. So yeah. you yeah. never know. You never know. So, and because we're, we grow as people and we change as people over time. And so I know there are albums that I didn't rate very highly when I first heard them in 1981 that I think now are fantastic. They're masterpieces. I went, I mean, I I have, I have, I have artists that I used to hate, like actively hate that now are among Uh my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's an ever changing thing. And and as long as you go into it with that mindset, um, 
you know, and, and and mood plays a lot. I mean, mood plays a lot. If you have two songs that are basically a coin flip, whatever your mood is that day is going to determine which one goes in front. Oh of you. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we come to the end of this album and uh, the big epic closer, and I, you know, all that we just talked about in terms of favorites. But I'm going to ask you if you have a top, if you had to name your top five records or songs on this album, I'm not going to ask you to put them in order, but just uh, group your favorite five songs from the record. Top five. I, I think I could do that pretty simply here. Uh, I'll say, uh, I'll do it on my hand so I don't lose track here. I'll say Children of the Damned, uh, 22 Acacia Avenue, Run to the Hills, uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name, and what else would I put in there? Um Mm-hmm. The t- that's the tougher one i'm gonna say invaders okay it's pretty good we, i think we we got a lot of overlap as you'd expect i got run to the hills the prisoner hallowed be thy name number of the beast and children of the damned okay i mean you really can't go wrong no. with any of them i mean there's eight eight songs on it so you know yeah you're gonna leave out three and they're gonna be good three because it's a you know the, this is a good album top to bottom and like i said um, absolutely we, we've gone gone through this how how often would you say you listen to number do you listen to it monthly every six months i don't know it, it, it's kind of a mood thing mm-hmm. I, I i get into moods where i'll listen to bands for months at a time and like I, i've gotten on i grew up a little bit small bit with acdc and about three months ago i ended up watching a live show by them and i've just went insane listening to acdc i mean i've i've been buying albums and and just crazy so i, I you know i know i listen to it there's probably sometimes where i listen to it more often than others and then sometimes where it's less because sometimes you've we've you know you got into maiden you know, close to the same time i did so we've heard these albums so many times through the years and sometimes i, I I wouldn't say I'm burned out like the song number of the beast. I'm really kind of burned out on that song, but when I listen to it just every now and then I go, man, this song is fantastic. But you know, I, 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 that's kind of why I think I've gotten into where I think I love the new era of the band from like, you know, from brave new world on. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because I guess I think that's probably why some of those albums are my favorites right now, because I haven't had 40 years with them or 30 years with them. It's been, you know, cause I went through a phase where I wasn't into Maiden as much for a while. And then I've discovered all these albums after, you know, after they were out and, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I listen to it every year, at least yeah. probably, I would say probably more than every six months, but you know, there might be six months where I go and not listen to it too. So, yeah, no, I get what, I get what you're saying too, about the newer stuff too, because you know, after Bruce's return, I didn't jump right back on board with them. I, I it took me a mm-hmm. while to get around to Brave New World and, and Dance of the Dead and, I, and the and and I still am finding new things every time I listen to those albums because I haven't listened to them as much as this Peace of Mind yeah. and and Power Slave and all of them. But um, yeah, it's I would well tell me this you 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 know you mentioned you heard Peace of Mind then you got Live After Death. At what point did Number of the Beast appear in your collection i was i was actually having that conversation with somebody today before we i was recording my episode for next week uh and we were trying to figure it out and i don't i remember getting live after death 
I remember getting somewhere in time because that was the first new album they put out, right? Probably not too long after that. So it was probably 86. Um, and I'm sure I would have just started going back and listening as that. I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure it would have been within that year. Yeah. I think it, my, my tendency too was that when I found a new band that I liked and I, I got that first initial album, I would go forward with them. And if I was current, then I would start to go backward one at a time because yeah. you know, they're, you know, the, over time, there's more change. If you go right back to the beginning right away, it sounds nothing like peace of mind. But if you go back to number of the beast, it does sound a lot like peace of mind. I made that mistake with kiss because I got into kiss <laughs> in the mid nineties or mid eighties when they were, you know, creatures of the night, lick it up, animalizing the song. They're heavy. And then I went back and immediately started with the first album. It is nothing like <laughs> that. But you know, the other thing is hearing number of the or, uh, hearing live after death, five of the songs from this album are on there. There's only, you know, invaders, uh, gangland and prisoner that aren't on there. So I had heard most of it, you know, already. Yeah. That's but true. yeah, I don't, I, I wish back then that I would have made jotted everything down, you know, that happened. This is when I got this, this is when I got that. That's when I heard this and just all the different things that I've forgotten. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, when you're growing up, you, that's just locked in your memory. You get older and you start stuff starts uh -huh. to slip out of your memory and you go, oh, yeah, I used to be able to tell you the exact date that I bought that record and where I got it. Like yeah. that, like that peace of mind album. <clears throat> I couldn't tell you the name of the store I bought it in. It might've been a Camelot. It might've been a, a peaches. It might've been a mom and pop. I don't know. It was in a strip mall. That's all I know about it. But Man, at, I haven't seen a Camelot music in a long time. At, at that time though, probably for years after I bought it, I could have told you everything about it. I could have probably told you what other cassettes I looked at and thought about buying instead of that one. And, <laughs> um, but you know, that, that just all kind of fades away over time. It's, so it's one of the it's one of the bad things about not having a perfect memory. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I I do know that I got um I got somewhere in time at a Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for the most part I really stocked up on my Iron Maiden. Um, well, CD wise, I I obviously used the record clubs to to you know when I started. <laughs> yeah, we all did. <laughs> But when it was cassettes, you know, I just was I was just moving forward with the band, and you know, I I might have got Power Slave at a Kmart or a Meyer or something. Sure. And uh, and yeah, it's it's. But lifelong Iron Maiden fan now. I, I heard your show on, on Senjutsu, and um, yeah, are you still enjoying it as much as as when you did that show? Your your initial thoughts? I think so. I, I've I've um, I like this the, the the bits that I didn't like as much still haven't grown on me yet. But it's it's you know there's a couple of songs that are a little too long in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I mean, I, it's amazing to me that forty plus years into their career that they're putting something out that's that much quality. It's it amazes me. I, I can't like I didn't think Book of Souls was as great, and when I got, I remember getting this, just thinking, well, you know, there'll probably be some good stuff on it. And I remember listening just the first listening, going. I can't believe how good this is. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I'm, I'm always uh, cognizant of is this is a band that is as old as I am. They're older than me. And <laughs> so they've been at this a lot, a lot longer than I've been listening to them. And, you know, I'm going to take what they give me and I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy what I like about it and what I don't like about it. You know, that's just, that's just, yeah. 
That's just the way it goes. I mean, this nobody's you know they don't have the same energy they had when they were 25 that's just not even fair to expect <laughs> yeah and, exactly and in some respects they've grown a tremendous amount in other respects maybe they've fallen into some habits over the years yeah for sure for sure for like, sure like we all have <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I i keep thinking whenever i think about that album though steve harris like some of the best songs he's ever written are on that album, like 40 plus years in. It's just, I don't know. It's amazing. I'm sorry. I, I keep trying to talk. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. Talk a little bit. Iron Maiden. And, yeah. I, and I, I am, I'm really thankful that you came on the show. Talk about your show a little bit. Talk about this, this excellent album that we've both fallen in love with years ago and, and have, yeah. it has enriched our lives throughout the years and uh, you know that's what it's all about it's about you know share this that's what this show is about it's about sharing these conversations about great music and uh with awesome. as as i always say uh talking about great music with the people who made it and the people who love it absolutely absolutely so thank you for your time uh where can people find you on the internet steve uh i'm probably most active on twitter i think my user is i think it's at uncle steve rock i think is what it is and they can email Iron Maiden podcast at Gmail and and my podcast is pretty much anywhere you'd listen. So mm-hmm. and it's called Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. If you if you type that into Twitter, it'll you'll find him regardless of what his handle is, it'll it'll pop up. And yeah. I know you're you're bound by the same thing I'm bound by in terms of Twitter handle uh character limitations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm typing when I created my Twitter, I'm like at Michael's record collect ah, oh, it's not gonna fit. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. At Michael's records, no, the, the S won't fit, and I have more than one record, so that won't work. So <laughs> ran into the same thing. Uh, so I ended up settling on at Mike's records, which is uh, not really what it's called, but hey, you gotta have. Yeah, something. you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. I hope uh, hope that some of my listeners and my viewers will check out your podcast. Uh, if you want to, you want to, you know, have enjoy good conversation about Iron Maiden songs, about their albums and about other bands. Check out uncle Steve's Iron Maiden zone. Thank you so much for your time. I've had a great time. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. I, I, it's always, it's always fun to talk the music we love. Always fun. I thank you. Michael's record collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.